Okay, welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Five Things, which is uh, our weekly roundup, roundtable discussion on all things social, technology, innovation, a, a few dad jokes. Um, it's great to be back again, and uh, I think we've got some interesting guests and some interesting topics. So let's start quickly by introducing who we have in the room today. I'm going to go around the room in no particular order, other than I'm staring at Kenny Gold, Gray's North American Head of Social. Welcome back again, Ken. Hello, everyone. Now, we have our special guest this week. To the left of Kenny is none other than Matt Britton, who is the founder and CEO at Suzy, a real-time consumer intelligence platform, but I'm going to let him riff on that in a second. He's also uh, a leading expert in uh, the millennial generation, so he's the only one in the room that understands Kenny and our other guest today, Amanda. Um, and also, also is the only one in the room, I think, that's a best-selling author. Any other best-selling authors here? Nope. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to give Matt a second, actually, in a minute to quickly talk about both those things. But just to round out the list, Amanda Davis is with us, Project Director for Innovation at Gray. Hello. And then Toby Daniels, founder and CEO of Social Media Week. Tell and wannabe millennial. And wannabe millennial. <laughs> and so wannabe best-selling author. So do I. Yeah, you can be whatever <laughs> so you do want I. to be. How many years do you miss it by? Oh, just one or ten. I think it's two. Like I think I'm two off. Anyway, it's annoying. I've seen Toby act like a millennial many times. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, every week he does in this room. Yes. Um, which is the energy he brings. So let's just quickly go back. Matt, thanks for being here, bud. Thanks for having me. Uh, talk to us a bit about Susie. Tell us what's going on there. Uh, Susie is a software company that helps all types of businesses make better decisions with the help of consumers right by their side at every moment. That's pretty exciting yes can you also think so too talk what's the book talk us about the book is that can well, we still book buy that was so long ago but i mean um it's funny because it's coming up on five years and at the end of the book i made a lot of predictions and one of them was that um facebook apple amazon and google are going to be deregulated by the government and it looks like that that prediction was true um but it was really just about how the millennial generation has changed the world for people of all ages and it was a it was a great experience. Still available wherever you buy books. Amazon, yep. Yeah. Sounds o good. Also, uh, Matt is a social media week hall of famer, which means that he has. Wait, there's a social media week hall of fame. Do I get royalties or a check for that, Toby? Because I haven't seen one yet. It's an interesting uh, sort of system that we have running, but uh, yes. And if you wouldn't mind making that check out to uh, social media week. Uh, oh, so I so I pay you to you, be in the hall of fame. Exactly oh, I get how it. it. Works. But yeah, he's a hall of famer. He's spoken at multiple social media week conferences. One of our greatest keynote speakers. Um, you got to check him out on stage. It's amazing. Actually, my favorite was uh, my favorite talk that Matt ever gave was um, uh, Instagram killed the television star. Yeah, uh, which was a pretty phenomenal talk. So checks in the mail. Those those <laughs> videos. The, 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 that's probably available on the Social Media Week website for. Subscribers, I'm guessing. <laughs> sub, sub, paying subscribers can access Matt's talk online. But it's yes, also available for free at mattbritton.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's very so, so welcome, everybody, to the Matt Britton podcast. Um, anyway, Matt, thanks for being here, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Today's five things, gang. Uh, we're going to cover Bloomberg memes taking over Instagram, and we're going to swerve around uh, last Wednesday's debate, depending upon when you're listening to this, yeah. Um, that's our first thing. Then we're going to do uh, YouTube launching Project Witness, which Amanda's going to speak about. Uh, the founder of Secret announcing the anti-loneliness app. HQ Trivia announcing that they are closing. Uh, a drunk announcement that they're closing. See that video? That was fun. Uh, and then lastly, Matt's going to cover uh, Facebook releasing Hobby. Right. Thing number one in this week's five things, Kenny Gold, talk to us about Bloomberg memes 
taking over Instagram. Good luck, yeah. Kenny. So the Bloomberg campaign flooded Instagram with branded memes with the help of Instagram meme influencers like Jerry, Head Steve, not Dan's nickname, Sunny <laughs> Five, Dan, so. Sunny Five <laughs> Up, Four Twenty, Kale Salad, Tank Sinatra, the Funny Introvert, and the Grape Juice Boys, to name it. Before you go on, mm -hmm. let me just take a second because I haven't addressed it yet. Kenny's perfectly well. He's just trying out a new voice today. <laughs> this is new podcast persona. It's my new podcast yeah. voice. So, why this is interesting, it is one of the um, easiest attempts from an old politician <laughs> to try and reach the kids. Shovel money um, at him. And it, the stat I heard is that he's spending a million dollars a day on Facebook and Instagram to reach a younger uh, voter audience. And and it's quite fascinating to me. When I first saw it, I thought it was an onion joke. Like, yeah. I literally thought it was the onion. Uh, but it worked. It had people talking about the campaign. It had people going. Now, will they vote for him in the end? I don't know. But for someone who came into the race like 10 months after everyone else, it was a pretty good jolt to the system to try uh, and get people talking. Um, the other thing I will say, whether you agree with his politics or not, Bloomberg and his campaign are playing the Trump game on social media, which is... Uh, an interesting approach because I think a lot of the other politicians out there are trying to rise above that game and Bloomberg dove right in. Take it away. I have an opinion as an actual <laughs> millennial in the room that these were probably geared at because I already followed almost all of those accounts. Um, and the way that, if you haven't seen it, the way that they launched this was very meta. They posted a, a conversation, using air quotes, between Bloomberg asking you know these meme accounts to post a funny joke about him and that was the post itself. I not shamefully am not that caught up with the political race right now. So I didn't know that much about his politics or where he was in the race. But what was really interesting is with Instagram's algorithm, your top comments that show up when you see these posts are celebrities, are really well-known you know, public figures. Every single account that I followed that posted this, there were top comments from celebrities that I didn't even know followed the account that were talking very negatively about Bloomberg about his politics about the account for doing so so without knowing much about Bloomberg and seeing this like inundate my feed I was immediately that was followed by like very famous icons talking negatively about his politics so although it seems like it may have worked for one portion of the audience for me without even you know clicking an article about Bloomberg I'm like I already don't like this guy and what he stands for there is a there you almost have to bifurcate the story to the strategy and approach from a social media marketing standpoint right. and the desired ROI on that investment from him. He's clearly shoveling money at his problem, so I don't think the ROI actually matters. Exactly. But I think from a strategy standpoint, there's a long history of companies that have tried to sort of uh, manufacture buzz yes. uh, with tactics that generally cannot be manufactured. They're things that actually have to be earned, not yes. bought. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think any time a company tries to buy things that are generally only successful when earned, they tend to fail. Yes. And sometimes they work at the very beginning just because, you know, AdAge might write a story about it or Social Media Week might write a story about it, but ultimately they get exposed and it sounds like that's what's happening. Exactly. That'll be next week's articles where every, this week's articles were, look what Bloomberg did. Look and next week's articles it. are going to be like, this is why it backfired. Polls are down. <laughs>
exactly. he's, he's working it's with... It's like the Oreo cookie in the Super Bowl all over again. Yes. He's working with or has engaged a whole bunch of, like, either agencies or influencers and folks that kind of, like, should know better in regards to kind of, like, whether this will or will not resonate with the audience. So there's obviously, like, a, a point of criticism that, that needs to be kind of, like, you know, discussed or at least understood in, in that regard. But also it raises the question is, like, Surely he must have known how this was going to be kind of received, given how specific the approach was. Um, and and it, it, I sort of have this like you know theory that I think is like entirely kind of untested. But isn't he just like doing this as a as a way of trolling Trump, as a way of of trying to create as much disruption in the media, um, playing Trump in many ways at his own game with with potentially absolutely no interest whatsoever in in truly running for president in, in a serious sort of fashion. I think your theory was good until the very end. Um, I don't, I think he probably feels like as a manager, an entrepreneur, a businessman, and a former mayor that he could be president. Let's set that aside. In terms of um, getting in Trump's head, I think that's exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to beat Trump at Trump's game, and he is focusing not on the other candidates around him, but he is focusing on the sole person that matters in this race right now so uh listen we'll know in november whether it worked or not well we're not a political podcast <laughs> we don't have to get into the politics yes. of this i suppose so let's move on shall we daniel i um i agree we're not a political podcast and i agree we should move on toby thank you for teeing that up um it's like a co-moderator like you guys are like a <laughs> volleyball duo well you know how the english tends to <laughs> we're gonna brexit our way right out of the stop oh, oh, oh there it was yeah. <laughs> unbelievable uh so number two this week and I, by the way i get the sense we're going to be having this conversation about mr bloomberg uh, in in following podcasts so stay tuned uh number two youtube launching project witness amanda so this week, YouTube launched a VR experience called Project Witness, which is meant to raise awareness um, about the conditions of incarcerated children. And what it is is like a very immersive VR experience that shows you what a typical child in the criminal justice system experiences. There's a lot of um, solitary confinement. There's a lot of like very lonely, dark, not great conditions, as you can imagine. Um, one, this is a pretty interesting use of VR because obviously the immersive nature of it is very emotional and kind of something that most of us, almost all of us, will never experience. So as a tactic, I think that's really interesting. The bigger picture, though, is YouTube is, is expanding the platform to be way less about entertainment, quick, um, you know, how to do X, Y, and Z, five-minute, um, you know, funny videos that are they're usually known for and much more into, like, an advocacy and, uh, you know, human rights platform. This, along with, they also just launched something recently called BookTube, which um, revolves around, like, social justice and a lot of other human rights issues as well. So this is part of, like, a larger strategy that YouTube is doing to bring more viewers but also advertisers into the fold as something that's a lot more of a personal platform than it's been seen as just a, a distribution tool. On these very rare occasions, I actually, A, read the article um, and also watched the film. Um, you watch it using uh, you. Well, no, you can VR actually. Or you watched it flat. You can watch it like that. Basically, it's like a three sixty video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's horrifying and shocking, and it's beautifully produced. And if you have, if you have kids, particularly if you have teenage kids, Matt, I know that you do. Um, if you just like like human beings, uh, it's it's a really important kind of piece of material and and film to kind of check out because it is 
truly horrifying, I think, what's happening to these uh, young people in regards to the conditions that they're being incarcerated in. Um, but what's particularly interesting outside of the material itself and, and, and the story um, is the medium, is the application of the technology. Because the thing about VR and the reason why it struggles and the reason why it's still you know, hasn't really gone mainstream is because there just isn't a powerful enough or an important enough use case for why someone should experience something in VR versus, you know, just traditionally. And this is a good example of, I think, why this is the right medium, the right format, because it's about putting you in the actual environment and giving you that sort of first person kind of perspective of what it's like to be a young person incarcerated in these like horrific conditions. Um, and hopefully, as a result, it moves people and, and encourages people, obviously, sort of to take action or, or, or do something about it. So, yeah. It reminds me of, um, so to your point in VR, I totally agree. It reminds me of a few years back. Do you remember the Clouds Over Cedra, I think it was called, which, they, which um, uh, the New York Times produced? And it, was, it took you into uh, one of the refugee villages in uh, Syria, I believe. But it took you right into that moment. And I think VR. Uh, has a real opportunity to tell those really meaningful stories, right? This is a great example of it, but being immersed in something uh, helps you understand a problem probably better than perhaps any other medium. Mm -hmm. um, we, so talk, we, talk, we talk a lot about empathy, uh, obviously, through the work we do with the 404, and it's been kind of very front and center in terms of thinking about the role of technology in terms of how it can uh, enable people to be more empathetic. And, and you know, through storytelling, is, or storytelling is just such a an important means through which we can reach out and connect and engage and put ourselves in other people's shoes. And I think the VR has a really important role to play in that regard. Good. Uh, number three, which is uh, actually Toby. So you're going to talk to us about the founder of Secret announcing yeah. the anti-loneliness app. Oh, my God. This is just such horse but I'm looking forward to talking about it. <laughs> it does it. seem like a really <laughs> awkward follow-on from what was actually quite a poignant thing to this week. Hey, man, Sorry, I'm dude. happy to... Happy I don't put to, them in the order. I'm happy to provide the segue, no problem at all. <laughs> all right, so the co-founders of Secret have come out with a new app, uh, an anti-loneliness app called Ikaria, or Icaria, Icaria, whatever. It, it, it's not clear exactly. I, I care not to you. I care, <laughs> I care a little bit about you. Um... So, who remembers Secret? It was an anonymous app that launched in 2013. They raised about $35 million, squandered, I think, almost all of the money, despite uh, reaching about 15 million users. Um, they obviously went through a fairly sort of spectacular flame-out. The startup folded, and, um, and, you know, it was kind of big news at the time. But most of us kind of jumped on Secret because it offered up a sort of a, a, an interesting or, or somewhat kind of unique use case in terms of like how we kind of share, connect and engage kind of through these like social media apps. Um, There's a really interesting quote from, from the founders as they've like launched this new app um, in regards to how they sort of felt about like Secret and that whole kind of experience. And, and they sort of said at the time is that one of the problems with Secret is that it, it, it promoted like it promoted and fostered like bullying, like within the sort of the, 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 the environment. Um, and the <laughs> and the founder of Secret said, I don't feel good about that. That sucks. And then he went on to say, since I left Secret, I feel alive and aligned with my values and my purpose again, which has prompted him to to launch uh, I, <laughs> Icaria. 
Um, so, uh, based on what we understand about the product, uh, which is not much, um, it, it's not just another feed, it's a safe space where you can chat with close friends or family or people who are going through similar life challenges. Uh, members of these group chats will optionally go through guided experience that help them reflect on and discuss what's going on in their hearts and minds. Uh, this could become a whole new media format where outside creators or mental health professionals could produce and contribute their own guided experiences. Okay, so the reason why I keep laughing... Um, <laughs> is we talking about this? No, no, I, I it's wanna, basically the telephone. I want to give you my take very quickly. So, um, creating an app that addresses issues of loneliness is like opening a bar for people who want to find new friends. Uh, it's not something that we necessarily need. As much as we think we do, and like I'm not even suggesting or, or, or making light of the fact that loneliness is a real issue, but to address issues of loneliness, we have to get to the heart of like what is really going on. And so I was kind of reading around the sort of the, the, the topic a little bit to sort of dig into some actual real science to kind of understand like, well, why why is loneliness an, is an issue and why is this a potential kind of solution? Real science, though, just so, to clarify that. <laughs> so I read this article on The Conversation um, and it talks about like the unpleasant feelings of loneliness are subjective. Researchers have found loneliness is not about the amount of time one spends with other people or alone. It's related to more to the quality of relationships rather than the quantity. So, in other words, the question of how do we improve so, so uh, the argument at least I want to make is that uh, you know we need to like look at how do we improve the tools and technologies that we're already using such as Facebook and Instagram and all the various other different social networking properties where most people are spending their time so how can we improve them to enable us to increase the quality of these uh, existing relationships rather than creating new technologies to create spaces for like lonely people to kind of like hang out together because I just don't believe that's necessarily really going to get to the, like heart a buddy of the issue. Bench. Right. Anyway, do you guys want to talk about this or do you want to just Not move really? on? Do you, I mean, you don't need, I don't think personally anyone needs a new platform to talk to any other people in their life. People need access to mental health professionals for free, not through a paywall that's located in this app. They need quality relationships that you nine times out of ten don't always get from an app quality conversations i think this is a very um low-hanging fruit way to pretend like you're trying to solve a mental health problem without actually providing something that people need mic drop mm. <laughs> well ho hold on a sec let's just play devil's advocate otherwise Please. this podcast is useless um the, the other side to that would be two things potentially right one is that there's a there's a um huge cohort of people that have grown up or are growing up engaging in social channels almost primarily from a communications point of view, right? Um, I could be off there, but there's, that feels like it's a burgeoning thing. Um, so they're used to using tools for doing most of these things. Um, the other might be, might be that if connection to mental health, whether it's through a payroll or otherwise, is made easier, it might make it more appropriate for that cohort to lean into and use. Um, just if we're looking for any silver lining to this. I think loneliness seems to be an issue created by the channels we talk about regularly on this. So it feels like perhaps using a channel similar to those things might help solve that. I don't know. I think the buddy bench is probably this. I, I mean, I, I do want to make the point, though, and it isn't a serious one. No, people are not lonely as a result of social media, as a result of these technologies. It's way more complicated than that. And there are many other, like, broader, larger much more significant societal forces that also kind of play into this. I'm not saying that social media helps, um, but it's very complicated. And it also, I think, is is a, a fairly kind of nuanced sort of like argument that needs, needs to be like just better understood. 
Um, and, you know, I find myself getting into this like conversation with people all the time, like social media is just a tool, right? It can be used in both positive and also in negative ways. We have to look at the existing platforms. We have to put safeguards and measures in place to make it, um, make it safer for people. We have to address people's well-being within these different environments. And if we're going to do anything, um, particularly in terms of connecting people with like mental health professionals, I think it's a super important idea. We need to be looking at those solutions, but in the context of where people already are, as opposed to creating new technologies uh, for people to have to kind of join and sign up to. Exactly. This doesn't seem to be solving a, a need case. No. Right, good. Um, Thing number, where are we? Number four already is uh, HQ Trivia announcing that they're closing. How do you feel about that, Ken? We shouldn't dwell too much on this, but let's pour one out for our homies, <laughs> including Scott Rogowski and the crew. HQ is closing. Um, after multiple years of taking the mobile world by storm, uh, really um, mainstreaming the live stream experience and the game show experience, giving away millions of dollars, captivating the hearts and minds of many of us, and um, driving lots and lots of brand integration, HQ is no longer viable, and it is shuttering its doors. It reminds me of Pokemon Go a little. It had its purpose, and it was an innovative way to use a specific kind of technology, and it was a blip on the radar that helped us move forward at the time. I actually, I, yeah. I think that there's a couple of things here. I think... It was a blip on the radar, but I do think it's sort of like a genetic marker to where things might be headed. Sometimes things fail early on, and then, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting, and then it comes There's back a in a better later. form. Right. I think the biggest issue with HQ Trevor was their business model. Um, they basically, the way they, they drove revenue was actually to come up with custom activations for advertisers and pitching it almost like as a service business, um, and you really can't win that way as a media company. You need to have more of a programmatic um, or always-on revenue model, and, you know, to have to go to a, a brand or agency every couple days and try to pitch a new idea and think that someone's going to write you a big check is no way to really build a business. That's one. Secondly, I think the way that they were expecting consumers to change their habits and actually tune in at a specific time is really was a novelty at first, but it's counterintuitive to how consumers are, where they're time shifting and doing things when they want to do it. So I think those two things combined probably were missteps, but I do think they were definitely onto something with the interactive format. I'll add a third one, yep. which is the value of talent and when mm -hmm. Scott left HQ they mm -hmm. had a massive connectivity gap yep. with how people felt about him as the face of that brand right. and you know he wrote online about why he left and how he felt about them and how they managed the business and that's a totally separate thing but um, I think sometimes in this world of the internet people feel like it's uh, you can replace anyone with anyone and it will, as long as the tech holds true, it will succeed. Um, and in this case, I think that wasn't That's a the great case. point. Also, if you're a manager of millennials, it was really fucking annoying having them like suddenly down tools twice a day in the office to play like HQ trivia. <laughs> you think it was just millennials? No, obviously, I'm just like. That, there was no social connectivity. Like you. When you were waiting to play, you just saw a stream of a gazillion yes. comments. That you people. didn't care about. Right. There was yeah. no way to actually see which one of my friends are on it right now. How am I doing against my friends? Yes. Like, to not have that social connectivity was a huge miss. One of the other funny things about the revenue model was uh, you could buy extra lives. And there were people who were posting after they went out of business that were like, goodbye, HQ. I still have 1,500 lives left. <laughs> so it's just like, right. it was funny. It's almost like... Uh, 
when I delete Fortnite from my PlayStation, I'm just going to have had a lot of skins that I can do nothing with. <laughs> um, Kenny always manages to get Fortnite into this podcast, which I love. <laughs> I also love we now have to market E because uh, Toby dropped the F-bomb. Guy, we're going to have to edit that. We're no, wait, I like thought that. that was allowed. we we got to mark it up now, man. Okay, sorry Dude, about geez, that. Jeez, unbelievable. This Why can't we PG. just throw one in? I said F. Jerry as the name of an influencer. Oh, wow. Right. Twice well, now. Got to edit it twice. A lot of work for this podcast. Sorry. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, last one, and it's our esteemed guest. Matt's going to take Facebook releasing hobby. Yeah, tell us so, all about it, dude. So Facebook launched an app um, that, if you go on the app store, you'll see. As of today, they had um, seventy people review it. at seven zero for a company that has what, crushing uh, two it. billion users, <laughs> uh, and yeah. they had an average of two out of five. Um, and Facebook describes hobby. Um, as an app to document your personal projects. And actually, the, what the app does basically is allows you to create different topics like um, football or cooking and then put pictures or videos together that are under that topic. And you just hit a button and it outputs a nice little slideshow that you can share. Um, basically, there's thousands of apps on the App Store that do that, yeah. but way better. Um, yeah. And I'm just kind of shocked that a company like Facebook, with their capital resources, with all the challenges that they need to solve in the world, would launch something like this. Yeah. It just makes absolutely no sense. Um, so hobby will not be one of my hobbies anytime soon. So so Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, yet again this week, copies gets a, someone else. One of, copies someone else and gets a thumbs down yep. from the uh, illustrious Five Things podcast. Um, wow. Anybody else want to, do you want to touch on that, Ken? I, I just, can. I just, I'm like, I, I feel like we need a moment, like a six month moment where all, new apps are put on hold. Like, we, mm -hmm. it's almost like we've reached capacity and we need to evaluate where we are here. People are just making for the sake of making and I don't know what benefit it's serving us as a community. It's very duplicative. I would love, again, all the resources and thought leadership that Facebook has. I would love to for them to do something original in the technology space that has not been done before. Or just innovate on, Any, on their existing anything, platform. Or how anything about take new. the money that you spend to build hobby and put it into schools so ki kids right. can have art and science or programs. Or research. Learn more about <laughs> like, mental health. Learn more about users' relationships with social. There's so I'm, many more things. I'm going to be the one person to defend Facebook. <laughs> not surprising, by the way. Well, no, not because, not because I feel particularly motivated and to I'm this not, context. This was anti-Facebook. This was anti-the app. Anti-hobby. It's a bad app. Well, yeah. that, that's why I feel <laughs> right. like it's just worth just providing a little bit more context. So, and again, I'm not defending hobby. I think it's like just not remotely interesting. Um, but I do think that uh, what's interesting is it's it's come out of a fairly new division within Facebook, which is called their kind of experimental products division. So everyone within that division should be fired, I think, for, for, yeah. for coming up with this uh, particular idea, which is, we all agree, is an additive. But I, it sort of like it warrants the question, which is like, why shouldn't Facebook, coming out of their experimental division, put things out into the world that fail? Because every technology company does it. Google is, has a litany of, of, of products and applications that's put out into the world that we hated or that they later but shuttered. But they're ambitious, Toby. But, but they, were, they were contributing um, uh, iteratively to um, bigger ideas that ultimately kind of came down um, came down like later on in their kind of like you know. Product yeah, but Google so Moon Moonshots is not designed to create right. more clutter on your phone. They are looking at real world problems and figuring right. out how technology I, I think can solve it. To use it. a sports analogy, it's one thing if you strike out swinging for the fences. It's another thing striking out trying to bunt. 
and they just tried to bunt. You know what I mean? There, were, there, there was nothing that they were actually going to move the needle on by doing something like this. So I'm all about trying to innovate, but you actually have to solve larger issues at, at, when you're a company that's achieved as much as Facebook has, you, and I think that's really When the, you have an, exper an experimental innovation group at the largest network of human beings in the world sitting on the largest treasure trove of consumer data that exists in human history, the ability to go in there and be like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a way to create a slideshow around your hobbies. It just feels like they're not pointing their radars at the right, right target. Listen, just to illustrate the, the two sides of this argument, I'm just looking at Toby's computer here, and the two headlines when you put it into Google are, um, the Motley Fool says, Facebook's copycat app Hobby isn't a threat to Pinterest. And then the August screen rant says, Hobby, Facebook's new app could defeat Pinterest. Wait a second. <laughs> that, it's, it's, OK, it's maybe this is my ignorance. That's nothing to do with Pinterest. Nothing. <laughs> All right. Oh my God. No, wait, wait, wait. What, what else is on Toby's computer? <laughs> Listen, I this tab here. So. <laughs> look, look, look. I mean, as per usual on the Five Things podcast, we have once and for all solved the problem of hobby, and Facebook should just uh, just bin that. Uh, that brings us to the end of our Five Things. Unless my friends here have anything else to add to today, we're up at about 30 minutes, which we know is approximately everybody's commute time, unless you come from somewhere further afield. Make sure to get your tickets for Social Media Week New York, May 5th through the 7th. There will be some great speakers. Oh, thanks, Kenny. Okay, thank you, Kenny. That didn't seem staged. He's, you know what he's done as well? He's taking my favorite bit of the podcast, which is the housekeeping stuff at the yeah. end. Yeah, he's taking um, a bite out of that. And he's taking, I mean, I, some would say he's taken the, 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 the cherry from that. So anyway, um, <laughs> let's quickly thank everyone. Matt Britton, thanks for coming in, buddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate great it. We we'll, would definitely love to have you back. Uh, Kenny and Toby, as always, thank you, thank you guys. Amanda, Returning guests, Thank thanks you. for coming back again. and joining us. Um, we threw out last week and we had some responses, but I'm going to put it out again this week that if if anybody has anything they'd like us to cover, uh, reach out reach out to us through uh, the information uh, in the notes for this podcast. We'll also link out to the Susie site uh, and Matt's book. Uh, make sure you guys can touch on that. And then what I want to clear up one thing. I mentioned Clouds Over Cedra earlier, which is actually a United Nations uh, effort, not a New York Times thing, and uh, it's well worth checking out as well, and we can link to that too. So thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us, team, and we'll see everybody next week for Five Things. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petit, Joey Scarillo, and Christina Torres, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.